Hello, this is your fertility pharmacist. This podcast is for women who are trying to overcome infertility. If you keep a pulse on late-breaking fertility research, it could positively alter the course of your fertility journey like it has for me. Hi, I'm Elise, your fertility pharmacist. Two months ago, I experienced a threatened miscarriage. A threatened miscarriage is not actually a miscarriage, but it is a freaky event in early pregnancy that involves bleeding from the vagina with or without abdominal cramping. For babies conceived with assisted reproductive technology, like IVF, a threatened miscarriage increases the risks of an actual miscarriage. For babies conceived spontaneously, there are greater risks not just for miscarriage, but also preterm labor, fetal growth restriction, and preeclampsia. Since these are undesirable outcomes, there's been increased attention on figuring out the best way to treat first trimester threatened miscarriages, and that brings me to today's study. Published four weeks ago in Human Reproduction, this article is called Progesterone for Women with Threatened Miscarriage, STOP Trial, a Placebo-Controlled Randomized Clinical Trial. First thing I want you to keep in mind about this trial is it was stopped early. I'll explain later in the episode why it was stopped, but first I think it makes the most sense to explain how the study was set up. This study recruited women who had a threatened miscarriage before their 10th week of pregnancy. Women had to be over 18 and have one, and only one, baby with a fetal heartbeat detected on ultrasound. This study excluded women who used assisted reproductive technology like IVF to conceive. However, 20% of the women in this study did have baseline infertility, which isn't explained further in the paper. This study took place in Brisbane, Australia at a clinic that was affiliated with a maternity hospital. Women were told about the study either on the same day or the next day after receiving the diagnosis of threatened miscarriage. After agreeing to join, the women were randomized in equal ratios to receive either 400 milligrams nightly of a vaginal progesterone pessary or an identical placebo. Women self-inserted the progesterone or placebo every night until they reached either 12 weeks of pregnancy or if the pregnancy ended before 12 weeks. On progesterone, I went a bit more into this in the last podcast episode. It's important in early pregnancy. So for the sake of time here, I'll just say it's important. Regarding those women assigned to either placebo or progesterone, neither the study investigators, the pharmacists dispensing the treatments, nor the patients themselves knew who was in which treatment group. Once 200 women had enrolled, there was a monitoring committee, independent of the study authors, that analyzed the safety of the study's progress. And this was called the interim analysis. I'm posting a link in the show notes if you wish to learn more about interim analyses. I'm bringing this up because it turned out to be important. More on this shortly. That is the gist of the study setup, so it's time for results. Over seven years, the study screened over 1,300 pregnant women and recruited just under 300. Over 1,000 eligible women declined to participate. And when the time came to conduct the interim analysis that I just mentioned, the Safety Monitoring Committee recommended to stop the trial prematurely. They recommended stopping early for two reasons. One, they determined there was a low likelihood that the outcomes between the progesterone and placebo groups would be statistically different. And two, it had been very difficult to recruit for this trial at the one site. Thus, the committee felt it would be both futile 
and unethical to continue recruiting pregnant women to join this study. The study authors followed the committee's recommendation and stopped the STOP trial early. To speak more about that first reason for prematurely halting the trial, the interim results were not showing that taking progesterone every night through week 12 of pregnancy was showing differences compared to placebo for rates of miscarriage, for premature birth, for delivery rates, and other outcomes. Since progesterone was not making a difference, it does seem punishing to ask women to go through the effort and messiness of administering it vaginally every night. Regarding that second reason for stopping early, that eligible women weren't exactly lining up to join the study, the authors attributed this to the stressful predicament women were in at the time they were being asked. While I would personally want to know any and all details about something that might help me prevent a miscarriage, we don't know how the study protocol was being explained at the time to the patients. Also, during stressful events, sometimes people don't want one more thing on their plate, and the idea of doing something new could have been just too much to handle in the moment. An interesting result that potentially ties into the women's disinclination to be in the study was the shockingly low compliance with the study protocol. Just over half of the women took the medications through 12 weeks as the protocol required, and the rest did it occasionally, stopped taking it early, or never started taking it at all. The authors analyzed the results from women who had followed the protocol strictly versus the women who did whatever, and results were similar. I think this is still worth noting, even though the authors didn't spend any time further on this in their discussion section. The authors instead spent a lot of their discussion time talking about their interim results and how they compared to a large British trial published in 2019 in the New England Journal of Medicine. That British trial had a similar intent as this Australian trial I've been talking about, but it was conducted very differently. These differences included different progesterone doses, different lengths of time on progesterone, and different age groups. Despite the differences between these trials, the end result was the same, that overall, giving progesterone in the first trimester to women with bleeding in early pregnancy did not improve live birth rates. After discussing the large British trial, the authors then pointed out reasons why other studies that had shown benefit were questionable, and they threw particular shade at one researcher whose data they found concerning. Not one to miss a bit of juice, I looked into this shady research and found that yes, the fertility research community has really turned against one Dr. Ala Ismail. Here's a brief aside on him. For over a decade, Dr. Ismail's fertility studies kept getting published until finally his 2018 paper on progesterone and miscarriages was publicly retracted. Following that retraction, a group of vigilante researchers who had previously called out other dubious fertility research dug into Ismail's previous work and they found it full of flaws. Ismail had reused data from 2008 and 2009 papers in different research published in 2014 and 2016. Though he claimed the patients were randomized in these trials, there's a really low likelihood that these fairly different studies would have kept coming up with identical small numbers. Besides recycling data, his trials recruited patients absurdly fast. As the STOP trial has demonstrated, it can take a long time to recruit women for a fertility trial using just one study site. Yet somehow, at his study site, he claims to have enrolled 150 women 
in a complex study in just two months. There's still more in that punchy paper detailing his deeds, but you get the point. His research should not be readily trusted. That 2018 progesterone research of his was originally included in what otherwise would have been a reputable Cochrane review, taking a forest-level look at the usefulness of progesterone in presenting, preventing miscarriage. But as the STOP trial authors point out, if a review is using mediocre research, how can we trust the conclusions? At this point, the global jury is out on whether or not vaginal progesterone should be offered for a threatened miscarriage. The STOP trial authors recommend that future research on this topic involves giving progesterone to women who have had two or more miscarriages and putting them on progesterone for at least 16 weeks. Their STOP trial had neither of these requisites, but the larger British trial had shown a signal of benefit in this select group of women. So that is where they suggest focusing future research. And no, they did not volunteer to take this on. To wrap this all up, I had fun reading this paper. As much fun as one can have while reading a research paper. Beyond my personal enjoyment, I think the greater fertility community can take things away from how this trial played out. For clinicians in practice, there doesn't yet seem to be clear-cut evidence demonstrating if and when vaginal progesterone should be given to women who spontaneously conceived and have a threatened miscarriage. More research is certainly needed on whether or not injectable or oral progesterones can be useful. For fertility researchers, this study could serve as a cautionary tale. The blinded and randomized study design was reasonable, but maybe overly ambitious. Perhaps the authors should have tried to incorporate another study site sooner to help them speed up recruitment. This study recruited over seven years before COVID disrupted recruitment at many other parts of trials, and they still only recruited 75% of the patients intended. I noticed that the funding for this trial came from a nonprofit grant, and with no further details, it's unclear if and how funding disbursement factored into the recruitment speed or study discontinuation. For women who experience threatened miscarriages, you are not alone and you will not necessarily miscarry. As for best miscarriage treatment prevention, to quote my all-time favorite show, The X-Files, the truth is out there. And that's the end of today's episode. There are several links in the show notes, including one that specifically looks at progesterone supplementation after IUI. So if you want to read up on any of the topics covered, head to www.yourfertilitypharmacist.com. This is Your Fertility Pharmacist. Thanks for tuning in.